Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, which I can now call again our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. It is officially the NHL season. We'll be getting back to uh, twice a week for you here now, which I am pumped about. The last day of Red Wings training camp was today. Prashant Iyer is back with me as always. So Prashant, how you doing and uh, how you feeling about the start of the season here? Well, it's finally, uh, the day's finally come. We're only, uh, as we're recording this, about 48 hours from the start of the NHL season. So, you know, I never thought we'd get here. We may still not get here with the uh, the number of teams already having COVID-related delays. But, you know, for the next 48 hours, I'm going to be optimistic that this thing's going to get off without a hit. The Red Wings uh, are off already tomorrow on Tuesday, so uh, they should be fairly fairly clear there on that front at least they they do have a couple guys who are unfit to practice and we don't know whether that's injury or illness at this point um, that is kind of one of the I guess from the league's perspective advantages and from everyone else's perspective uh, disadvantages of, of the way that this season is going to roll out but we'll we'll get through it together I suppose and the only guys absent from this last practice on the last day of training camp uh, getting that unfit to practice designation were Darren Helm, Adam Ernie, and Bobby Ryan, Evgeny Svechnikov uh, returning to skate, but he was with kind of the early group before the NHL group gets on the ice. He ends up getting waived uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, we could talk about that in a minute, but anything stand out to you about the the group of players that was out there as, you know, it was 20 skaters, three goalies that as a 23-man roster could kind of check out. Um, or they could, you know, make a couple tweaks around the edges. Obviously, if they want to put one of those three names who are unfit to practice on the active roster and just scratch them, they could do that and move one of the goalies um, off. Obviously, you, Thomas Grice, Jonathan Bernier, locks there uh, to be on on the active uh, opening night roster. But anything else stand out to you about kind of this final pool of skaters that, that the Red Wings trotted out today? You know, I uh, I was sort of expecting to be surprised uh, a little bit and maybe hoping that a couple of the young guys had been able to to beat out some of the veterans. But, you know, the way the, the roster is shaking out and the way it looks thus far, uh, you know, not a whole lot of surprises in that regard. I think, you know, for me, you and I were texting about this a little bit earlier today. I was somewhat... Uh, you know, thinking there was an outside chance that that Franz Nielsen would end up being waived today, but it does not look like that's going to be the case. And so, you know, ultimately looking at the lines going forward, I think you probably have, you know, Matthias Bromi and and Michael Rasmussen potentially as placeholders right now for for Bobby Ryan and Darren Helm. And then, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see where Adam Ernie slots in here, but not not really a whole lot surprising. It looks like, you know, all the veterans basically claim the spots. 
I actually think uh, Nielsen is a placeholder for one of those guys. I, I think it's Nielsen and Rasmussen as placeholders um, and, and filling that lineup spot until they return. I think Brome won a job. I, I think, you know, he, he looks like he's going to be someone who, I don't think he's going to be on the power play, but I think he's going to kill penalties. And I think he's going to be um, in, in the top 12 uh, to start the season, even with everybody healthy. Um you know, it seemed like they liked hit the look that he gave both with Nemesnikov and then even when they took him off the Nemesnikov line the other day. So I'm reading between the lines there, but um, I do think that Brome won a spot in the top 12. And it would not surprise me if when um, Helm, Ernie and Ryan return, um, if the people on the outs of that are Rasmussen, Nielsen. And then I don't know if Ernie, maybe Ernie can beat somebody out there, but um you know, I would think him and Helm are fairly interchangeable competing for that last spot. And I think you're taking Helm if it's between those two. Um, so that would be my read on the situation. Ernie, I think, makes a lot of sense as a guy who's with the roster and not necessarily in the lineup, um, if that's the role that, that falls to him. But um, So I'm curious about that. I'm also curious to see where Kristen Juice slots into all this. Um, he was a waiver claim earlier this week and not obviously in Detroit yet. I don't know when he will be. Um, but you know, how does he factor into all of this? Uh, once that hat, once that plays out, um, Gustav Lindstrom and Alex Biega were the extra defensemen up today. They could roll with eight defensemen for right now if they want to, or they can obviously easily send Lindstrom down. He does not have to clear waivers. So, um, I, I would expect that to happen eventually. There's also some waiver stuff from around the league that happened today that I wonder about. Oliver Shillington from Calgary goes on waivers. That was the standout name for me on on the waiver uh, wire today, but I'm not sure who stood out for you or what you think about that possibility. To me, if it's between Shillington and Juice even, I, I think I would lean towards Shillington um, as making more sense for the Red Wings, but um, obviously we'll see what Steve Eisman and Pat Verbeek do around noon tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be the easy one for me. It seems like he's the guy that uh, just about every team in the NHL should be high on. I think he... Had a very high pedigree coming into the draft, you know, former first round pick, uh, a guy a lot of people thought was going to be, you know, hitting Calgary's roster sometime soon. And ultimately, you know, he just never was able to find his way and then ended up getting passed, uh, you know, by a couple other guys coming after him. And so I think he's a guy for sure that if you're Detroit, you, you know, you want to take a flyer on. And I think the important point, and Max, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong here, you know, any of these guys you're going to pick up out of the taxi squad waivers, which is basically what this is, cannot then subsequently be reassigned to your correct. taxi squad. Right. Correct. So this is someone you're picking up and they're going to be on your 23 man active roster. So I think, you know, that kind of sets the stage for how likely is Detroit to do this, given that they've got 23 guys, you know, listed on their roster right now. Um, with a pretty clear kind of transition period between the three guys who are out and the three guys we expect to come back. Um, you know, so I don't I don't know that any of this is really likely, but, you know, Shillington's, I think, the the big guy for me. The other guy that was really surprising for me is Matthew Perot uh, in Winnipeg. You know, he's a guy that's a couple seasons removed from having, you know, an absolutely fantastic year in 2017-2018. I mean, this is a guy who in between 15, 16, 16, 17, 17, 18, if you look at just his goals above replacement, he's at 10.6, 9.5, and 12.4. Uh, wow. Those are all marks that would have been, you know, close to the tops on the Red Wings each of those seasons and really tops in the last couple of years. Obviously, you know, he's getting up there in age um, in that respect. And so potentially that that's part of the reason his play definitely dropped off a bit last year. 
Uh, but I mean, he's still 31 right now, 32, I believe, uh, actually as of this past January. So he's a guy that's a veteran that I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't take a flyer on him and see if he's a guy that you can bring in, uh, as a center, um, to kind of help this team out a little bit more, but remains to be seen what they do. But those are definitely the two most interesting names for me as in terms of guys that I think Detroit could go after. And then obviously, you know, Tyler Johnson, uh, being on waivers here in Tampa, I think that's another uh, uh, a big name there. I believe as the reigning last place team, the Red Wings will have first claim and first pick at these guys. I don't believe that that resets just because they also made a waiver claim. It's not like fantasy football where you know the order you know cycles. Um, it, it's kind of like just whoever is the last place team on that day, and the Red Wings remain that um, gets first crack. Now they don't get that for both players though. I, I do think it works within like a given day if if they claim both guys. I don't and someone else claims one. I think there's a priority aspect. Is that is that right? Yeah, I, I believe that's right. Although I think we're in an unprecedented situation with 90 plus players on waivers <laughs> and multiple players that people actually want to claim. Yeah. Um, granted, now this is the NHL, so I fully expect not a single player to get claimed because that that's just the way the NHL goes. But. You know, that being said, I, I do believe you're right in that they don't necessarily retain priority across players. I think they sort of get their pick, um, and then I believe it resets from there, but I'm not positive on that. I'm not either. I, I shouldn't talk uh, talk from my hip there. But um, anyway, nonetheless, we'll see what happens with that. I, I In the meantime, I think it's, it's fair to kind of operate with the roster as it is. And um, if there was a surprise, I guess it's Michael Rasmussen being in there, although I don't know necessarily what the other options were. Giovanni Smith probably would have been the next best argument for it. And I thought he made a pretty good closing statement um, uh, in the final scrimmage on Sunday night. He scores a goal. He makes a really nice seam pass. He did take a couple penalties early in the game, but I still think um, with the forechecking and, and the physical game that he can bring, when you when you then also see the offensive elements that he showed Sunday night, um, that is kind of what you think of as, okay, this is the young fourth-line player you kind of want in your lineup. Now, Rasmussen certainly has trades too that, that I think you can argue for that. And number one is at the spot that Bobby Ryan vacated at the net front on the top power play. That's a pretty important job. Um, and Michael Rasmussen's probably the best option for it. I, I think Giovanni Smith could have done it too. Um, but, you know, Rasmussen obviously is, is a kind of higher um, rated prospect. He was a top 10 pick. You know, obviously people can say what they will about whether that should have been the case uh, at the time or, or whether he's lived up to that. I mean, certainly he hasn't lived up to that so far, but uh, we'll see what happens with it. And I think Rasmussen playing on the Glenn Denning and Nielsen line, uh, I don't expect that to be a particularly high fly in line, but uh, if he can get to the net and, and uses, uses physical presence and then be good on the power play, I guess this is kind of his extended opportunity to prove he belongs. I, I don't know that I expect him to be a mainstay in Detroit this season. I, I thought that early in camp, uh, you know, you had seen some some little signs of progress, but I, I don't know how much it really held up through the scrimmages. Um, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, Rasmussen's a guy, it's just, it's so tough because you, you want him to succeed based on the, the pedigree you're dealing with from where he was drafted. The guy clearly has a lot of talent. And, and you know, we, we kind of build this as this is his shot to stick with the team. You know, he was kind of the last man in. You look at his line mates, though, that's not... And you, then you ask yourself, what do I expect to see from Michael Rasmussen that would allow him to stay in the lineup? 
And I think the natural inclination for a lot of people is finding a way to generate offense. Um, but, you know, the problem is if you look at kind of the situation he's placed in, I, I don't think that can really be the expectation here, you know, unless he's uh, has just kind of an unbelievable game on the power play or something along those lines. Uh, you almost have to reframe what the the expectation is or are you really just using him as a placeholder and there's not really much he could do um, to be set up for success here. So I think that's and that's kind of been a, a prevailing theme or maybe a source of frustration, I think, for a lot of. Uh, Red Wings fans over the last five, six, seven years is a lot of the times when these young guys are getting those shots at the NHL, they are in situations that maybe don't necessarily cater to their skill set. Um, and, and sometimes that, that, that makes it a little bit more frustrating on the evaluation side. Yeah, I mean, the the element of Michael Rasmussen's game that that he worked the hardest on this offseason and that the coaching staff has said they saw progress in was his skating. Um, although Jeff Blashill did give the caveat that when he got tired, it seemed like he did slip out of the crouch uh, and that was a thing. But when he was fresh, he thought it looked improved and that was significant. Um, the area that they want to see him improve at, and, and once Jeff Blashill said this, I noticed it You know, most of the time watching Rasmussen the rest of the way was making quicker decisions with the puck, knowing where you're going to go with it before you get it so that you're not trying to make those really important decisions um, with the puck in hand. And, and that that's when you can, you know, really take, uh, make, make a, a defender's job easy because you're giving them so much time uh, to, to, to react and figure out what you're going to do and get themselves in an advantageous position. Once he said it, I saw it with Rasmussen, basically the rest of camp. Um, and I, I do think that's the thing that he'll have to work the, the most on here. I also don't think it's that hard of a necessarily thing to with, – with with reps, that seems like something you can improve on. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's definitely a key with Rasmussen and really a key for a lot of these young players who um, aren't necessarily the guys who have been tasked with skating or playing with the puck. I think I still see that to a certain extent uh, when I watch Rasmussen and some of these scrimmages – uh, it, it may not be necessarily that he doesn't know what he's doing with the puck or, or what he's planning to do before he gets it. But a lot of the times when I watch him make plays with the puck, he wants to get rid of the puck quite quickly. He doesn't seem particularly comfortable with the puck on his stick for an extended period of time. I mean, there's a get, there was a moment in the second scrimmage where I watched a zone entry uh, where he was basically skating across the blue line. He takes a pass. And, you know, if he stops for a moment and reads the situation, the two defensemen playing him actually both back off of him. So immediately he has like skating space to work with. But the instant that puck hits his stick, he actually flips it to the sideboards and it ends up resulting in a turnover that comes out of the the zone. And it's like, you know, if you take that extra second there, read your play and and know what you can do with the puck, uh, you can make a more you know, a conscious play that's going to result in possession. So a lot of the time I just see him being willing to get rid of that puck so quickly. And, and I think it just limits some of his, his effectiveness overall. I think that's fair. So we'll see where things trend for, for Michael Rasmussen here. Um, you know, if he is there, I'm curious to see, is he on the wing or at center with Luke Lindenning? Because Luke Lindenning, one of the better faceoff men actually in the league, um, but Michael Rasmussen being developed as a center, you know, I don't think the Red Wings are going to necessarily sacrifice uh, those face-offs just to put Michael Rasmussen at center. Um, but then you, if you want him to eventually be a center, he probably needs to play centers. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, 
everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So this goes hand in hand with where is he going to be um, throughout this year. It's also another reason that I wonder if Evgeny Svechnikov had not gotten hurt a week ago, but really in the first scrimmage, would he have had a, a chance to, to be that um, weighing on that line, I kind of think he would have. And I, I think that that's one of the real, uh, of the many Evgeny Svechnikov tragedies over the years is like, that looked like it could have been his opportunity to take. Um, but nonetheless, this is where, where it lands and that lands with Svechnikov on waivers. Let, let's get to that really quick. Um, while we're on the, the subject, because, um, Certainly, once once it became clear he was not going to be ready in time for opening night, you had to anticipate he was going to have to clear waivers, whether that be to go to Grand Rapids or the taxi squad. Um, do you think Evgeny Svechnikov will get claimed? Because I think it's not really that big of a risk. I, I know people are worried about Carolina, but um, and certainly I get it with his brother being there. But at the same time, that's one of the deepest teams in the league, and they probably can't carry a forward who can't make the Red Wings for the full season. Yeah, I mean, I think I've said this on past episodes. There's only two teams that I think would make a claim. One would be Carolina. But again, you know, remembering that the team would have to keep this player on their 23-man roster, not just be able to subsequently reassign them to their taxi squad. That that seems less likely, in my opinion. Um, the only other team that I think would make a claim would be Ottawa. But Given the plethora of other players there, I think there's a solid chance he just clears waivers, and there's uh, there's not really much uh, of an issue in that respect. And it, you're absolutely right. This really is just a tragedy for him, you know, over the years between, you know, the multiple injuries, missing a whole season, uh, you know, having maybe his development stunted a bit when he wasn't able to come out of Grand Rapids in, in 2017. You know, all that there is just now we're getting to the point where you know Sveshnikov's 24 years old. Uh, and and still hasn't really cracked an NHL roster at the full time. And so uh, definitely a disappointing uh, start to camp for him. Yeah, I mean, it, again, there are dozens of prospects on waivers today. And, I, you know, every fan base is going to be really worried and antsy about the one or two that they really love who are from their team and they're really worried about them. But you got to remember – if if you're excited about Oliver Shillington or you're excited about Matthew Perot or uh, whatever other team other teams uh, fan bases probably are and potentially general managers are and and guys get lost in the shuffle and then they say okay well we're gonna put our claim in on this guy and your guy probably slips through they also if they're waving players themselves um, it's because they have guys that they really like on their 23 man. So as much as you love your prospect or your player that's going through waivers, I can 
pretty confidently say most GMs are going to feel like they are already making really, really tough decisions at the fringes of their roster and don't want to introduce one new reason to have to cut one more guy that they like and they brought in and they developed or whatever. So um, I feel like there's a pretty good shot of Svechnikov getting through. I think I'd put it at like 80% or so. Um, But I will allow for the possibility that some team says, well, hey, you know, former first round pick, he hasn't necessarily shown what he can do. We can take the chance on injury, and if he gets hurt, then it actually makes life easier because then he can be on our IR instead of having to get sent down or, or go, go through waivers or returned or whatever. I'll allow for the possibility. I'm just guessing that those teams are going to have players uh, e- either internally or elsewhere on waivers that they prioritize. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I just can't see a team making the decision to add him, knowing that they have to keep him on the active roster when he's potentially not ready uh, for the NHL start of the season, and you have no real confidence in being able to rehabilitate him back to, you know, what he was uh, kind of in the first couple years of his career. Um, you know, I just I don't see a team taking that chance with, especially with some of the other guys that have gone on waivers today. Yep, that's where I'm at too. So we'll see how it shakes out. We'll see, we'll especially see then once uh, I, I guess. So my understanding is once the actual season starts, then we're supposed to get more clarity on the reasons guys aren't skating. Is that am I right in that? Yeah. So once the season starts, the NHL has then said that the the teams will have to announce the individual players that test positive for for COVID. That's my understanding of the rule. But during training camp, they were allowed to, you know, use this unfit to play terminology. And so. I think so as soon as Wednesday, if we don't see Darren Helm, Adam Ernie, and Bobby Ryan, you may get some more information as to why, if uh, if that's related to uh, a positive COVID test or high-risk exposure. So what if they were just a close contact? Would we get to know that or no? I don't know if they'll specifically state that someone has tested positive for COVID versus had a high-risk exposure um, you know, I, I would assume it's going to be the latter in that you'll, it'll be one or the other, like they've yeah. either tested positive or had a high risk exposure, but, uh, I am not certain how that's going to work for sure. Well, I don't necessarily need to know who has it and who had an exposure. I just would like to know who's being held out for COVID reasons versus who's being held out for injury reasons. Yeah. And that, it certainly seems like we'll get that as okay. soon as the NHL starts um, in, in knowing uh, who's out for COVID reasons and who's out for injury reasons. And certainly we'll see if, if they put anyone on the obviously COVID list or on the injury reserve, then that becomes very obvious. Um, so I, I hope to know more about that. And, and I'm curious to see how this plays out. I mean, Jeff Blasher really went out of his way today to say, you know, it, it the end of training camp decisions are a decision, but they're not a full season decision, the decision for night one. Um, and so I, I really wonder what that means for guys like Smith, for guys like Dennis Chalowski, who Jeff Blassell said had his best uh, practice slash scrimmage of training camp uh, in, the, in the last one on Sunday night. I thought so too. I thought he was good offensively in terms of his puck moving. I also thought defensively um, he, he made a couple of, of nice plays challenging within the zone. And so um, I'm curious to see what, where that leads for him. I mean, Personally, I've felt in the last two years, like I've liked Dennis Chalosky's game better in the NHL than the AHL. If he's in the AHL, I'm not sure he's proving he needs to go up. And and that's something that I think is a real, should be kind of a real concern. I don't know what you do with that. I don't know how you manage that situation there. 
um, if you're the Red Wings because you want to promote guys when they've kind of quote unquote earned it. And yet this is a guy who I feel like has looked more like he's earning it in Detroit than in Grand Rapids. And and I don't know if that's, you know, AHL style of play. I am a believer that um, the AHL style of play makes it harder for players who are really good at uh, at, uh, at thinking within a system. Like I thought Zadina um, at first took a little bit of time to adapt and not necessarily everyone um, looking at the game maybe the same way that he was. And I wonder if it's like that for Chlowski, who I do think is a smart player, especially in the Ozone. Um, it's also the AHL is an extremely physical league, and that's not the strength of Dennis Chlowski's game. So I'm curious to see how that goes for him. He's a player that I'm going to be watching really closely the first month or so of, of, of his season when that starts in Grand Rapids. And and same kind of with Michael Rasmussen in Detroit to see if he can hang on. Because those two, Svechnikov and Smith, were really, and Lind Lindstrom, I suppose, were the the group of kind of bubble candidates, people who had a perfectly realistic chance to crack the roster. Um, and it only looks like so far Rasmussen, at least in the lineup, is the only one who maybe accomplished that. Yeah, I mean, the the, the theory that you bring up about AHL and, and skilled players, I think is a really fascinating one. Uh, obviously, I think it gets a lot of credence from Philip Zadina kind of making his comments uh what, more than a year ago now when he's kind of saying that it's a little tougher for him when guys don't necessarily read the play the same way as him or, uh, you know, think about uh, making the same play and that the style of play ultimately is a little bit different than, you know, what when you're playing with more skilled players in the NHL. But that being said, I think my kind of view on it is the really good players, they're still going to be good in the AHL. Absolutely. I mean, you yep. look at guys like Thomas Tatar, he was point per game. William Nylander was a point per game. Uh, down there, and there was nothing that was going to stop them. In fact, they dragged all of their teammates up. I think it's the guys that have that play a skill game, but aren't necessarily the guys that can drive a line or drive a pairing. Those are the guys who I think struggle uh, a fair bit in the AHL. Those are the guys where you know, they need some extra skill or support around them and can be a little bit more successful in those scenarios. But when they're playing a style of play that's not necessarily there and they have kind of other deficiencies to their game that kind of prevent them from being able to to drag a line or a pairing up, I think those are the guys where you really see them go down to the AHL and not have the success you would expect them to do. And subsequently, they never dominate the league. And I think that's where a guy like Evgeny Svechnikov fits in. That's even though he did have 51 points in 74 games in his first AHL season, but I think that's where he's kind of at. I think that's where you're seeing Dennis Chalowski at right now. Is those are two guys that aren't necessarily line carrying players. They're not going to get anything more out of the AHL, um, but they do need more skill to bring out the best of their game. And so I think that may explain some of the kind of almost two phase appearance of these guys that you get when you watch them in Grand Rapids, and then when you watch him uh, with skill guys in the NHL. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, I think Philip Sedina, if he was in the AHL this year, learning what he seems to have learned on the defensive end of the puck and about puck hunting and about creating opportunities for himself and not waiting for himself to be kind of set up for a one-timer, you know, the way he gets back on the back check and lifts sticks now and and creates rushes, I think he would dominate the AHL now as a 21-year-old. So I, I think that kind of lends further credence to what you're saying there. So um, I, I think that's a good point. And, and we'll see where it shakes out for Dennis. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it's 
Yeah, Connie is a make or break year, I think, for him in a lot of ways. Uh, is this a contract year for him? Yeah. Yeah, contract year. Um, and, and really, it, it's it's getting there, right? This will be his third training camp uh, with a real shot to make the roster. He did it in the first two, didn't do it in this one. I think the competition was much better this time around, which is a mitigating factor, but he didn't make it. So um, really big year for Dennis Shlowski. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with him, um, but you know, not making it out of camp. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it was, it was an upset that he didn't make it. I, I don't think he was expected to once you saw who all was there, but it's going to put him in a little bit of an uphill climb from the start of the season. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about this being the make or break year for him, because uh, not only does, is, are you running up on the fact that this is his fourth year uh, and he's now several years out from his draft in 2016, you're running up on the fact that there's a boatload of guys behind him now that are knocking on the door. I mean, uh, he really wouldn't be in this conversation if Moritz Sider was playing the entire NHL season right now because yep. Sider is is that far ahead of him. And you've now got guys like, uh, you know, Antti Tuomisto is going to play in the NCAA. He's not that far away. A couple of years you're expecting here. You know, Willem uh, Wallander is a guy who's going to be a couple years away, but he's going to start making strides forward. Emil Vero is a guy who's going to start making strides forward. So there's a, there's a handful of guys, Albert Johansson, is a guy who's maybe one or two years away tops from being an NHL player. And so he is running out of time from guys chasing him as well as his own internal development uh, to, to do this. And I think, you know, if he doesn't have a monster year, he may be a guy who's sure he gets his qualifying offer and, and potentially the wings keep him, but he may now be destined to only have success somewhere else as he's caught by these other guys. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's shift gears then from from there and and go into a little bit of kind of prediction and and preview mode. Um, I will have a a predictions column coming out later this week, so I don't want to 
tease away too much of my uh, predictions here, but um, give me two or three guys that you think are going to be have particularly notable seasons for better or worse on the Red Wings this year. So I think the guy who is going to have a big step forward is Troy Stetcher. Okay. Um, Troy Stetcher is a guy who, you know, played uh, kind of four or five minutes um, in Vancouver. I think he's going to get a bigger role in Detroit. I think I texted you this, that I think he's arguably Detroit's best defenseman. And yes, I know that's going to get me some flack when you have Philip Peronic there, uh, you know, who's kind of the consensus number one. But watching him wheel and deal with the puck in the offensive known, kind of the compete level in his own zone defensively, uh, his ability to hang in there on the forecheck uh, and, and handle the pressure. The Wings just haven't had a guy like him in a while. Um, you know, Mike Green was supposed to be that, but Mike Green was kind of the end of his career. Maybe you can argue the first season of Mike Green was a little bit more of the guy who can skate with the puck. You know, Philip Hironic can do it a little bit too, but I think he's had to rein in his game a little bit. Uh, I think Troy Stetcher is a guy who's going to be able to jump, you know, join in the rush, play well, solidly defensively. You're not going to necessarily see it on the score sheet, but I think he's going to have a big year, and I think he may end up being – uh, you know, Detroit's number one guy or number two guy by minutes uh, by the end of the season. So I think he's the big guy that I have my eyes on for a huge season. I'm going to counter with another defenseman, although I really like Troy Stetcher, and I think he will probably uh, be the – I agree that he'll be kind of the under-the-radar defenseman to, to stand out. But I'll, I'll counter with John Merrill, who I think is going to have a career year with the Red Wings and the opportunity that he's being given right now that includes the second power play. So I am going to predict that he will have a career high in scoring, which isn't saying, I guess, a ton. Um, his career high uh, as of right now was in Vegas uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and ironically, in a 57-game season in 2018-19, this will be a 56-game season, he had 15 points. So I'll say he clears that. Um, I don't know that I'm going to say he's going to be the second highest scoring defenseman with that, although it would have put him pretty close to that for the Red Wings last year. Um, but I'll, I'll say it's a career high in scoring for John Merrill, who I think uh, seems to to me, he seems to look like a player who's a little more multidimensional than I realized. I think I had him pegged as... Um, very similar to Patrick Nemeth. Certainly their impacts look very similar on the ice. Um, but Merrill shows to me, that he's made a couple pinches throughout camp that I've thought show some pretty good instincts and have prolonged offensive possessions. He had a beautiful deke. I don't know if it was in, I don't think it was in a scrimmage, so it must've been in a practice. Um, but it, you know, better hands a little bit than I realized in tight, not necessarily, I don't think he's going to weave up the ice through anybody, but at the net, at least it was a nice move. So I'll call uh, John Merrill as my, uh, player who's going to have a career year this year. Yeah, I think Merrill's a good pick because especially if he's able to stick with Patrick Nemeth as his D partner, uh, you know, Nemeth was such a security blanket last year. I think a lot of Red Wings fans were very surprised by, you know, how sound defensively Patrick Nemeth was. I mean, you had a great article at the beginning of the season uh, kind of talking about Nemeth's defensive metrics and and how well he graded. And so Merrill may be a little bit more enabled uh, to jump in offensively in addition to getting power play minutes that, yeah, I think we could easily see a, a, a nice point total from him. Um, I think the other bold, bold prediction I'll give you is Anthony Mantha sets a career high in goals. Um, career this high. Is career high. Now, I think this is cheating a little bit because his career high, despite being as good of a goal scorer as he is, it's only 25. Okay. Um, 
And so I'm saying he beats 25 in 56 games. And I think uh, for those that watched, uh, I believe it was the second scrimmage, um, you know, I think it was uh, Daniela and uh, a couple of the other guys on the broadcast were talking about Mantha and his shot rate. And Mantha was kind of alluding to the fact that he likes to get off five shots a game. And I think it was Ken Cow who said this, that Mantha scores one goal every 8.3 shots. And so if he can continue to shoot the puck at a elite rate, maybe putting three to four shots on goal a game, I think he's going to be able to beat 25 goals this season. I can buy that. One of my predictions is that he will lead the Red Wings in scoring with 50 points or clearing 50 points. I should say he'll be over 50 points, which puts him right in point per game territory. Um, put that in play, and I think uh, 25 goals is, is a great way to get there. Um, you know that puts him at right about a 40 goal pace. So that's um, that's where the boldness comes in on your part. There is is that the, the goals mark I think is pretty hard to achieve. Mine mine maybe not quite so bold, um, but I, I think we're in lockstep here. And I think the the big key to both of our predictions is his health, because there's no way to get to that high number if he's missing. 10 to 15 games here. So it sounds like we both think he manages to stay healthy this year. Yeah, I mean, the, the Red Wings really, their their big mistake in the offseason was not going out and acquiring Jake Muzzin because they've made a habit of acquiring all the guys Mantha fights so that he can stop fighting people. <laughs> you know, that's how they brought Patrick Nemeth in. That's uh, right. You know, Luke Wachowski came in, right? So, you know, you just got to keep bringing in the guys that he fights. And unfortunately, they didn't bring Jake Muzzin in, which is a, a, a big disappointment. But that being said, uh, you know, if Mantha can just keep the gloves on, not fight people, uh, and stay healthy for an entire season, I mean, 50 points for him, Max, that's a career high as well. So, you know, you and I have him pegged for a career high in goals and a career high in points to lead the team this year. That is true. All right, let's take one on the flip side. Who's somebody that uh, maybe takes a little dip this year? For me, the guy that's going to take a dip is Jonathan Bernier. Uh, You know, I think last season shocked a lot of people. Uh, I mean, Bernier arguably by the end of the season was a top 10 goaltender. And I half jokingly, half seriously said he deserved Vezina consideration for for having to deal with, uh, you know, playing behind that Red Wings defense. That was just absolutely atrocious. And and in all honesty, those games, the wings, the games, the wings were losing five to one. They should have been losing seven to one. Uh, and, and, And Bernier was just keeping them in it. I don't know that he is as successful this season. In fact, I would bet strongly against him being as successful this season. And I would think that actually by the end of the year, Thomas Grace uh, starts to take more of the lion's share of of games. I think Grice is a guy who is a little bit more accustomed to playing behind a terrible system. Uh, Think about the Islanders before Barry Trotz got there and that kind of defense. And, And he's a guy that I think will you know, be very successful uh, facing a high volume of shots, will be successful with a lot of the lateral movement required as the wings give up a lot of cross-ice passes. Uh, I think Grace ends up taking most of the starts from Bernier, and Bernier just doesn't have the same caliber of year. Have you seen my predictions document? I have not. I've not even opened. Uh, did you put an article out yet? Because I have not read anything. No, it's it, no, I actually, it's in WordPress. It's in the CMS. Uh so no, it's not public, but I have Thomas Grice finishing the year as the number one goaltender as well. So we're we're in lockstep there for met much of the same reasons. Yeah, that works for me. I mean, that just means uh, I'm still thinking clearly at this point in time, uh, ten months into this. 
The other guy that uh, I predict to take a step back is Robbie Fabry, and I think a lot of that has to do with his move to center. It's going to be, be a prominent move. There's no doubt about that. It's going to make him very prominent in the lineup. But I think the defensive responsibilities of playing center um, are going to take a, a, a little bit of a physical toll um, on him, and I think it's going to make it harder for him to pay quite as much attention to where he needs to be in the offensive zone to score goals, and he's going to need to be more mindful about staying on the right side of the puck um, so that he can get back if he needs to. And I think that line, if it sticks together, as it was assembled for the last scrimmage, Nemesnikov, Fabry, Zadina is going to have a good year. But Rabbi Fabry um, scored at a pretty strong rate last season. Let me see if I can pull it up here. I think it was about 15 goals in 55 games or so. 15 goals in 61 games. Um, and that's really, that's his whole season. So 14 goals in 52 games in Detroit. Um, I'm going to say he doesn't get that this year. Um I'll say he's more around 10, 11 goals, but I do think that line, if it stays together that way, has real potential. I, I like the Mesnikov and, and how he's looked so far. I like Zadina's potential and what he's shown. Um, but I just think that the, the demands of that center position are going to make it hard for him to repeat the scoring that he's had, especially if he's not on that top power play unit um, with Mantha and Larkin uh, and, and Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah, I mean, I'll be really curious uh, to see if, Lashell opts to use that line the way he has historically used Athanasiu's line, uh, which is trying to very carefully deploy them in offensive situations to lessen their defensive responsibilities. I mean, Blashell certainly has a history of doing this. He did this with Thomas Vanek uh, when Vanek was with the Red Wings, and he would very much cater to Vanek's offensive tendencies and try to avoid you know defensive zone starts for him. Uh, would try and get him in offensive situations as much as possible. Did it to a lesser extent with Athanasiu. Uh, I, I wonder if he will try and do that with Fabry, Zadina, and Nemesnikov to kind of lessen their defensive burden, maybe give more of those uh, challenges to that Glendening line and to the Larkin-Bertuzzi-Mantha line and see how that goes. So uh, I'll be curious to see how deployment impacts that because if, if Blaschel does – kind of lessen their defensive responsibilities and puts them in more offensive zone situations, uh, they may be able to be successful and stick together. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that especially with Nemestikov there, that they have that potential um, because my main issue when it was Zadina, Ryan, and Fabry was that even if you get deployed in the O-zone, once you lose possession, you have to be able to get it back. And Zadina's now showing that he's someone who can help do that. And I think Fabry has really looked better to me in these last, especially this last scrimmage. Um, but I'm, I've just been kind of skeptical that any of those guys can really win enough battles to, to win possession back. I think Nemestikov really gives them that. Um, so that's interesting. But but do they keep Nemestikov with them when, when Bobby Ryan comes back? So... Um, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I I do think that line can succeed, and I based on what we saw last night, I think they've got a good chance to succeed. They're they're certainly capable. So uh, it's just a matter of uh, if they can do it um, consistently. I think. Yeah. All right, and then let's go big picture for the season. Uh, give me their finish in the central, their finish in the league, and their finish in terms of uh, record. So finish in the central. Uh, I think they are going to be seventh, um, and that is a bold prediction, saying they are not last. Uh, I think Chicago will be last, uh, especially given the uncertainty about Jonathan Tays being able to play. Uh, I think that'll be a huge blow to the Blackhawks, and and that, to me, is enough to get 
the Red Wings a couple extra wins. I think they maybe squeeze out 19 wins this year, 20 wins, somewhere in that ballpark, somewhere around, you know, 45 points. I think they're probably 27th in the NHL this year. So fifth worst if I'm pegging them uh, for a spot. I uh, were in pretty much lockstep again. I have them seventh in the central ahead of Chicago. I have them. I actually have them bottom three in the league again um, because I think the central is going to feature two bottom three teams this year. I I think uh, the other one I'm going to say will be New Jersey. Um, I think Ottawa manages to to escape that a little bit, playing in a Canadian division that's going to be wild. I think there's enough bad teams in the West for them to all pick up enough points to get out of the bottom three. I think New Jersey is facing Murderer's Row out East, um, especially with Corey Crawford now not in the picture. So that those are my bottom three for this year. I, I don't know exactly which order it'll be, but I've got Chicago finishing last. Um, largely on their goaltending and their lack of center depth. So um, that's what I think they're Red Wings record wise. I think they are going to go 21, 30, 30 and five. Does that add up to 56, 21, 30 and five? Yes. Uh, Yeah. It's 56 games. It's 47 points, right? Yeah. 47 points, 56 games, uh, 47 points. Again, for some reason, that sounds like ambitious and bold. It really shouldn't. It's still a bottom three. It should project to be a bottom three record, but um, that's what I'll predict. Yeah, I mean, that that's all entirely believable. You know, I, I think for me, uh, Ottawa is certainly going to be at the bottom. Chicago is going to be at the bottom. Detroit's going to be there at the bottom. Uh, New Jersey, I think, is the obvious one there at the bottom. I think you just come out west and you say, can the Kings pick up enough wins? Can the Ducks pick up enough wins? I think those are two teams that I've got my eye on to be down uh, towards the bottom. I think for Anaheim, you know, a lot of it depends on if Trevor Zegras is on the team or not. Uh, You know, if he doesn't make it, I'm even less excited about Anaheim. Uh, So those are the only two teams that I think could squeak in below Detroit. Um, But yeah, 19, 20 wins. I think you're going to see a lot more overtime games from Detroit. Uh, So I'm going to, you know, maybe if I put them at like, I don't know, 1930 and seven, something around there. Uh, I think that probably uh, gets you close to the same number of points, maybe 45 45, points there, Uh, but slightly worse team. Those are pretty close. I think we're pretty close on all of these. We should host a podcast together. Yeah, I think that I think that go pretty well. I think people love when two hosts just agree with each other for 45 minutes straight. Absolutely. I, th- I think nothing nothing better. Well, the, how about this is the last thing we can agree on. Um, I am pumped to be back to twice a week here. I'm ready to get this rolling uh, at the rate we were before uh, and want to thank everybody out there who, who stuck with us and kept listening, even when we got kind of scant there for a while. Uh, we, we appreciate you tremendously, and uh, we are really excited for this season to start.